Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that tips cows by telling them to keep the change. He is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for sharing on social media. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at True Crime Garage. Tonight we are drinking Spotted Cow by New Glarus Brewing Company, garage grade four out of five bottle caps. I think it's about time, right, Captain? We've only had about 100 people tell us to try the Spotted Cow, and it is delicious. This is a Wisconsin farmhouse ale brewed with flaked barley and the finest Wisconsin hops. They even gave a little nod to the farmers out there, adding a hint of corn. It's a naturally cloudy beer. I love cloudy beers, Captain. And Spotted Cow was brought to us by these little cowboys and cowgirls. First up, we have Sophus <laughs> in San Jose. Next. San Jose. And this one cracks me up, Captain. This is from Dylan. Dylan says, thanks for covering the Ted Bundy case. The communication students at the University of Utah love you guys. That's the joke you laugh at? That, you, you, it cracks me up. You don't even pay attention to my joke. Next, let's give a big shout out to Sonia up in Maine. We also have Lisa in Arlington, Washington. Up next, we have Sarah in California. We also have Ashley in Toronto, Linda in Portland, and Mihan in Indiana. And the last stop for the Flying Garage ship is where else but... Parts Unknown, of course. Where we say hi and thank you to Nick. And maybe I shouldn't bring this up, but it's going to be a little awkward if we got too many Nicks in here. And I was here first. I was, I'm was. i just saying that. So thanks, everybody, for pitching into this week's Beer Fund. If you want to help us out for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And check out truecrimegarage.com. Click on the store page. We have a pre-sale order on a T-shirt. 
This pre-sale will only last two weeks, so get them while you can. And thanks for checking out the Boys on the Tracks four-part series that we did. If you have not done that yet, check it out. It's great binging material. All right, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Suzanne Streeter and 18-year-old Stacy McCall say it's not like them to just leave and not tell anyone where they're going. She calls and lets me know where she's going to be. She's never missed work. She's uh, a very conscientious young woman. We're questioning everybody at this time, friends, relatives, anyone that has any information, anyone that may have seen them last, neighbors. We've done neighborhood canvas. Uh, we're just checking every lead we can this time. The last time anyone saw Susan Streeter or Stacy McCall was over the weekend at this house in Battlefield. The girls had gathered here with some friends after graduating from Kickapoo High School on Saturday. They left here early Sunday morning. Uh, they said they were going to the other girl's house and they were going to be spending the night there and they called me in the morning so we could go to Whitewater. And I called, they never called me in the morning so I called them and I called and I called and called and I got no answer. So I went over there, and they weren't there. This is Suzanne Streeter's mom, Cheryl Lovett. She's also missing, last seen at her daughter's graduation ceremony at Hammond Student Center on Saturday. She lived in this house on East Delmar in Springfield. That's where police found the three missing women's cars. Authorities say there was no sign of a struggle. In fact, the front door was unlocked, the TV was on, their clothes were still there, their purses and personal items untouched jewelry and things were left in her purse. Her makeup is there. An 18-year-old girl that's very proud about the way she looks, wears her makeup and looks nice and she doesn't go out just wearing a t-shirt and her underpants. Springfield police have notified law enforcement agencies in the surrounding area and in neighboring states, hoping someone will have an idea of what happened to these three women over the weekend. In Springfield, Missouri, I'm Marty Schussler for NBC News. June 6, 1992 in Springfield, Missouri, we have Stacy McCall and Suzanne Streeter had just graduated high school, and they were going around to some different graduation parties at their friends' houses. Now, they were, they had a school event, which was going to be one of those sober type lock-in graduation parties. They decided they didn't want to go to this. They were planning much bigger things. They were out with, with a bunch of their friends, and one of their friends was Janelle Kirby. Now, the girls were planning to go to a hotel and stay the night that night. Mm -hmm. They were planning a big day the next morning. The idea was that they would stay the night at the hotel, which was right by the White Waters Water Park, and Silver Dollar City, which is an amusement park. So they wanted to stay there and join with what, what sounds to be like friends or many people from their school at the water park or the amusement park the next day. For whatever reason, this plan falls through, and now they're going to go to Plan B, which mm -hmm. they're going to stay at Janelle Kirby's house. So back to Janelle's, right? 
But the girls, Stacy and Suzanne, they don't end up staying the night there either. Now, it, it sounds like Janelle already had a full house with several out-of-town relatives staying at her home. Yeah, it seems like they were planning on st- staying at Janelle's house. But because a family member kind of just dropped by unexpectedly, mm-hmm. their house was packed and they would have to sleep on the floor. And so they kind of thought, well, we don't want to sleep on the floor. Let's go over to my mother's house. So they decide to go to Susie Streeter's house. And now Susie lives with her mother, Cheryl Levette. Cheryl is divorced from Susie's father. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the date of the divorce, but it sounds like it might have been somewhat recent to 1992 because Cheryl had just recently purchased the home that they were living in, and the two had been living there only a short time. Right. So Stacy and Susie leave Janelle's place around 2 a.m. They were last seen on Battlefield Road around 2.30 a.m., but it is believed that the two arrived safely at Susie's and Cheryl's home. This is on East Del Mar Street. Now, earlier that night, Cheryl was last heard from around 11 or 11.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. She had stayed at home that night, and we know she was we sh- she was safe because she had spoken to a friend on the phone and the call had lasted or ended until about 11, 1130 that night. The next morning, people are going to start trying to make contacts with people because they have that big day at the water park, kind of a celebration for graduating high school. Yeah. So around 8 a.m., friends of Stacy and Susie's, they start calling Susie's house. Uh, they were still planning, even though they didn't go to the hotel, they're still planning on going to the water park, going to Silver Dollar City with lots of friends. Well, these friends started calling around 8 a.m. to plan the trip but or to meet up and make their way to the water park together. Right. Well, much to everyone's surprise, there's no answer at Susie's home. And all of the friends, all of their phone calls go unanswered. And some of these friends are waiting around on Susie and Stacy before they will leave for the water park. One of the girls that was calling was Janelle. Remember Janelle? Well, she, she said she had called several times and even left two messages on the answering machine. So after the phone calls, now I, I got to believe that the friends probably were just thinking that the girls had overslept. We know they got in very late that night. Yeah. So Janelle Kirby and her boyfriend, Mike, decide to go over to Susie's so they can hurry up and get everybody together and leave for the big gathering at the water park. Again, this is 1992. So it's, it's way different than it is today. Uh, you would, this would be more common that people would stop by your house randomly. Mm-hmm. It might be a Friday night. You might never get a phone call from somebody. You would, they would just swing by the house to see what you're doing. Yeah. And some of the younger people might not get this, but mm-hmm. you know, you didn't back then you didn't have a cell phone strapped to you 24 seven. So sometimes you would make plans with people and even if you didn't hear from them, you would just follow through with those plans anyway, assuming that they would be where they said they would be. And, mm-hmm. and if, if they weren't and you didn't hear from somebody, you just had to kind of carry on and hope that you bumped into them. Right. I mean, I carried two cell phones and three beepers, but that's because I'm a gangster. So Janelle and Mike, they arrived just after 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. When the two arrived, they first noticed that three cars are parked out in front of the house. Mm-hmm. Each of the girls, Stacy and Susie, they had their own car and Cheryl's car was there as well. Janelle and Mike approached the front door to the house and they notice that the porch light is broken. This is the first time that they've actually been to the house, even though they're really good friends, but that's because the mom just purchased the house. Mm-hmm. And I'll describe this broken porch light real quickly, because I do think that this is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see broken glass on the front doorstep. The casing to the porch light was broken, the, the glass globe, but the light bulb itself, it's not broken. Uh, the two of them grab a broom and sweep up the broken glass. 
They knock on the front door a few times. There's no answer, and they find that the door is unlocked. Now, I, I, I kind of brush through that real quickly because there are several accounts of this part of the timeline. Some say that the friends knocked on the door and found it to be unlocked. Some say that the front door was open. I include both because this may be a detail that some want to ponder. And I was trying to decide which one was correct. Um, I guess I could be convinced either way because I find it a little strange that the kids would clean up the broken glass while the door is already open. You know, it seems to me like you would kind of yell inside and, hey, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. Hey, people that I'm looking for, there's broken glass out front. Um, But the the accounts that state that the door was open, these are all kind of locals reporting this. And and, you know, I have a tendency of of leaning towards what the locals report and what we find in the local newspapers there. And yeah, this was a nice gesture that they claim that they're making, but this is also back in the day where other people's parents would yell at you. Yeah. I, th- I think back then the, the attitude was definitely more, it takes a village to raise a child than mm-hmm. it is nowadays. And, you, and you're right. Other parents, friends of your, your, your friend's parents seemed almost like your parents at times too. They would tell you what to do. They would correct you. They'd boss you. Yeah, and it was kind of their house, their rules. And also, if you got in trouble at your buddy's house, you normally got in trouble at your house. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm getting the vibe here in this story that Janelle might have been pretty close to, to Susie. And therefore, you remember how it was. If you were close with your friend and, and visited often, and I know this was a new home, but maybe she had some kind of that kind of relationship with Susie's mother as well. Yeah, there was definitely a different dynamic when you had a a single parent home. Mm -hmm. So they enter the home and when they get in there, they're calling out the girl's names and no one apparently is there. Um, Once inside, they realize that the TV is left on and it's not on like a channel that you would watch. It's, it's just on like the old black, white, and gray screen. You know, the, the, the fuzz is what some people would call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The dog seems to be upset. Uh, The dog's name is Cinnamon. Cinnamon is one of those uh, little terrier dogs. Well, the dog's upset because of the bad name. Well, apparently the dog was upset enough to the point where Janelle said that the dog wanted to be held. Um, they they would end up finding the ladies' purses, all three of them, along with their cigarettes. I guess two of them were smokers. Uh, and they find the ladies' jewelry and makeup at the house as well. Um, so it appears that the, the home is empty. The dog is upset. The door may have been open or not. Mm -hmm. There's broken glass on the front porch, and it appears that not only are the women not there, but all their personal belongings that you would expect to accompany these women remained at the house with their vehicles as well. Right, but you don't see any blood, and you don't see any, like, other than the broken glass uh, on that dome light. Look, for all Janelle knew, they were just running to the hardware store to get a new, you know, glass for the the lamp out front, and then they're going to be back in a little bit. Mm-hmm. There was no sign of breaking and entering. Right. So no sign of a struggle. Right. Right. And Janelle would later tell the police that they actually assumed that the girls had just simply continued on with their plans of going to the water park. Uh, they also stated that they that the beds appeared to have been slept in. Um, you know, it, I, I don't know if that means that somebody actually slept there. Some people don't. I don't make my bed every single day. You should. Um, don't tell my mother. But like we said, before the time of cell phones, you just carried on with your plans and assumed people would be where they said they would be. So Mike and Janelle decide that they're going to leave the home and they're going to continue on with their plans, make their way to the water park. 
Uh, but just as they are walking out the front door, the phone rings. And Janelle answers the phone, and she hears a, a male voice, and the man is saying gross sexual stuff to her. Uh, Janelle is disgusted by the caller, and she hangs up the phone. As soon as she hangs up the phone, the phone begins to ring again, and Janelle picks up the phone, and again, it's the same guy. And he's he's kind of just picking up right where he left off. And again, it's with the sex stuff. Uh, Janelle and Mike were convinced the calls were probably pranks. Uh, Janelle hangs up the phone and the two of them, they leave and they continue with their planned day of going to the water park and the amusement park. Was the guy that called Frank Rizzo? That's R-I-Z-Z-O. Next, we have Stacy McCall's mother, Janice. Uh, she had been waiting to hear from Stacy most of the day. Oh, Janice. She assumed Stacy was at Janelle's house, uh, unaware of the changing plans. A relative of Janice's, she informs well, let's her. let's take a little bit of a back step because when they were going to stay at the hotel the night before, mm-hmm. a lot of the parents weren't too keen on this. No, like, and I, I can't imagine that they would be. That they, you know, our daughters just graduated high school and they're going to stay by themselves in a hotel room. Unsupervised. Right. Who's no, who knows what's There's going to go on. There's probably going to be a lot of boys there. Lots of drinking. So when those plans changed, they were kind of happy that they didn't stay there. Yeah, relieved. But now that, but she's kind of confused on, okay, well, why did they not stay at Janelle's house? Right. Why are they staying here? So then she's, because, you know, in the back of her head, she's thinking, well, what boy's house did they actually stay at? What boy's house, or did they end up going to the hotel anyway? Right. Um, yeah, and and you can imagine that's that's parents' job, you know. When when your kid changes plans, and, and it's a big deal, I think, to go and stay at somebody else's house without informing your mother or father of where you're going, and and it can be, you know, it could be d- dangerous, dangerous, and it makes makes the parents worry. Uh, but a relative of Janice's, she tells them that the girls did not. Uh, stay at Janelle's that they actually departed Janelle's home uh, quite late in the night and Mm -hmm. that they stayed at Susie's instead. Now, remember we had said that Cheryl and Susie had recently moved into the home. So Janice had to track down the address of this new home. And she did this using the local phone book. Janice goes to the home once she's acquired the address. This would be almost 12 hours after Janelle and Mike had been there. Janice sees basically the same scene. You know, she arrives, the the door is unlocked, Mm -hmm. uh, the TV is on, all of the purses, makeup, jewelry, they're all there. Uh, And Janice, you know, she's, at this point, she's overly concerned. Well, I shouldn't say overly concerned. She's very concerned about where her daughter could be. It's been almost a full day since she's heard from her. And so she decides to play the messages. So, you know, Remember the answering machine had the little blinking red light and that light would, that thing so would, much fun. That thing would call your name though. And, and for those that, that don't remember the brink, the blinking red light, this is how important that answering machine was people. You, you might have plans for the evening between work and, and in those plans, you would make a point to drive by your house just to hit that button to see who had called for you during the day while you were gone. And I understand that like, Nobody calls each other anymore. But back in the day, it was a big deal to get your answering machine, set it up, and create your answering machine message. Yeah, the away greeting. Message. Yeah, it was a it was a big deal. Yeah, and you get home from work and you, you see that blinking red light, and you're like, okay, uh, is this going to be a bill collector or is this like a friend that says, hey, let's go to get some wings and beer tonight? Well, many moons ago, when we shared an apartment, 
uh, we would save all because it was your answering machine, but we'd save all the messages that we thought were funny. Mm-hmm. So we had like this compilation tape. And so we'd just get really drunk some nights and just listen to it over and over. Well, and we had a couple of friends that, that when they would sit at home and have a few beers, you know, if they found themselves by themselves that night, <laughs> they would, they would call other people's phones and leave long messages. And, and we had, um, one friend, the geek, uh, we won't use his real name, but, uh, we've never used his real name. I, He's I, been the geek. Since I don't I've know that, that some of the friends even know his real name, but he used to leave the best messages. And a lot of times it would just be, he would call your home and then he would put his phone up to like the speaker on, <laughs> and he would just play some song and you would, you, <laughs> you would listen to the five minute song, hoping that there was some kind of message at some point. After about five or six of these things, you realize that it's just the geek leaving a, a full-length song for your enjoyment rather than any information for you at all. So this red light was just kind of staring at her, tempting her, and uh, Janice became nosy Nancy. Yeah, and that that was my thought in the beginning. My first initial reaction was, wow, this is kind of, you know. That's personal. Breaking the line of privacy there, mm-hmm. uh, listening to the messages. But on at the same time this is her 18 year old daughter she's mm-hmm. not heard from her she's been told by other people that she was staying at this home her car's out front you know and as well as the other women's cars are out front as well she said she had a strange feeling about the whole the whole scene and she decided that you know maybe it was a, a crossing the line of privacy there but she took on her motherly job there i'm saying motherly job and played the messages mm-hmm. uh when she did though um she played the messages and accidentally erased them um rather than saving them Break. uh which this is terrible because Good job janice she she recalls that there were several messages on there mm-hmm. um some of them were from friends that were calling you know to try to make plans for that day uh, but one of the message was messages was also from a mail caller, an unidentified mail caller, right. and he's he's doing the sex stuff on the phone um, during this message, and she said it, it creeped her out. Yeah, and you'd think this is just such an odd thing to hear on an answering machine. Mm-hmm. Well, she she unintentionally erased the messages. Um, she's freaked out at this point, and mm-hmm. Janice using the landline phone at the residence calls the police department and reported all three women missing. Um, That night, you know, she, she can't rest at this point Uh, that night using photos just taken the day before at the graduation. Right. Janice started making missing persons flyers. Uh, The following day, police asked Janice if she could track down dental records for her daughter just in case they found something. So, you know, doesn't sound like they're very optimistic at this point. Right. No. Uh, but that's a scary request when you, when you're already frightened and worried and then it gets even more real when the police ask for the dental records of your kid and you're celebrating something that is so big or so monumental in a young kid's life. Mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest thing that probably happens to you in high school is when you actually graduate. Well, and you're not only graduating from school, but you're also kind of graduating into adulthood mm-hmm. as well at the same time. Now, I want to be clear here, though. She called, Janice calls the police, reports them missing. Uh, this would be late Sunday night. Um, the police do not arrive that night to to look through the house or, you know, take note of anything going on. Mm-hmm. And it's not until, I believe, the following day, that later on Monday, that they end up going to the house. Now, the police, they're, they're not certain 
but they believe that as many as maybe 10 people had been in or around the house uh, before they had got there to to kind of make their observations. Right. So this is kind of tampering the the, the crime scene. Yeah, and, and and it's a strange crime scene, isn't it? I mean, there's it's almost like they it's almost like they just disappeared with whatever they were wearing at the time. You mm-hmm. know, um, Stacy's mother says that that some of Stacy's clothes were were still at the house. Um, yeah, it seems like all of her clothes were at the house mm-hmm. uh, except for. Uh, t-shirt and panties or underwear. And so then there was also like where uh, in the bathroom there was where they would take off their makeup. Mm -hmm. So there was like, now that could have been from two nights before, but let's just assume that like maybe they found evidence in the trash. So it seemed like they made it there. Mm -hmm. They were, um, you know, changing and getting ready to go to sleep for their big day at the park the next day. And then even the mother, which would normally, you know, would have her smokes in the family room. She's an avid smoker and she would smoke in the family room. And then when it was time to go to bed, she'd take her cigarettes and go to her room mm-hmm. and her cigarettes were in her room. So it seemed like all three ladies were turning in for the night mm-hmm. and there was some evidence of that. So then what happened after that? Yeah. The, 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 the people there said that the beds appeared to have been slept in. Maybe, maybe all three of them were in their beds at some point in the night when, when somebody came into the house. Right. So basically we have this window pretty much between two o'clock and eight o'clock mm-hmm. that of what's going on. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing too, is with, with the TV, the TV's on, which is a strange thing, and it's on a channel that nobody would watch. You know, it's not like, it's not like late at night. Remember when the channel would just shut, you know, you would have things for viewing and then at like two in the morning, it would just go to that fuzzy screen for a couple of hours and then it would pick up where it left off. That's no, a but- other thing. Like any of the young listeners are going to go, what? No, that seriously, there was a, this time. This is showing us. <laughs> we should have never covered this case. It's showing how old we are. Well, we were, we were younger than uh, just to throw oh, that out there. Yeah, we, were we were younger than Stacy and Susie, but we were old enough to remember all this stuff. Yeah, but there was this time where it was like the the evening news and then maybe a couple shows and then about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, the, the station, station would just go blank. Yeah. You know? and, and some of the more popular channels might might last till 2 in the morning, but there would be like an hour or two where it was nothing. It was just fuzz. Mm-hmm. And But but when, when the people that go into the house find this TV on, mm-hmm. it's at a time where there should be programming on. So it's almost like it was turned to a channel. Remember, you'd have a TV that might have... 20 some channels on it, but you would only actually have things to watch on seven or eight of those channels. Right. Um, it was a depressing time. So it was almost like it was turned to a channel that had no, no, nothing on it ever. And right. the other thing too, is that I've heard that it was stated that, that Stacy's clothes, not only were they there, but they appeared to have been like folded up neatly, like, like you kind of would just before going to bed and you kind of place them on the floor or on top of a dresser and they're there for you the next day. Cause you're staying at a friend's and you're just going to throw on the, the clothes again. Um, it, and the other strange thing that, that we've seen here too, is that it was stated that all three of the women's purses were all found in the same room, right. like sitting next to one another, kind of lined up together, which you wouldn't expect to see. A little strange. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't expect to see the girls keeping the purses in the mother's room or the mother in the girl's room. But I think the big key piece of evidence is that there's, you know, there's evidence that there's clothes left behind so that possibly some of the girls weren't wearing fully clothed. 
they wouldn't leave on their own. And why would you leave on their, your own? All the cars are there. Mm-hmm. All your purses are there. Then you got the cigarettes there. Not saying that she couldn't have another pack of cigarettes, but I think all those things are telling that these girls just dis, dis, they didn't disappear. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime there's a mer- missing person case, you have to kind of go through that laundry list of, well, do we think they committed suicide? No. You know, there's no evidence right. of that. That would seem kind of strange that all, you know, logically my brain is going, there's three people. They didn't just go out into the field and decide to commit suicide. We never found any bodies. Or they didn't just, they didn't just hop in a car and decide to leave town together either. Right. Cause why would they do that when they're and leave your purses behind and your identification and all that stuff? doesn't make a lot of logical sense. So everything is kind of gearing towards foul play. Now, the thing here is I, I have read several accounts that Cheryl was a uh, very hard worker. Um, and very good at her job as well. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the police may have found a decent amount of money in Cheryl's purse, cash money in her purse. Right. Um, I have heard that it was several hundreds of dollars. So we don't see the house. We don't see the house being ransacked. And then furthermore, somebody didn't even take the time to look R- through the purses to snatch the cash money out. Possibly not a robbery. No. Not not like a home invasion robbery situation. This is more of a, I'm going to go into the home and abduct these people. Mm-hmm. Let's get more into that right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. 
IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, welcome back to True Crime Gay Ridge. Uh, Cheers, mates. We're covering the Springfield Three. It's a case that I've actually heard of a lot, but mainly because listeners have said, hey, you guys need to cover this case. Mm -hmm. Well, a few days go by 
after the disappearance of the three women. And at first, there are no leads. There's nothing pointing towards answers to the whereabouts of Cheryl, Susie, and Stacy. Until the Springfield police received an interesting tip. Uh, This is a young waitress working at a place called George's Breakfast. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a favorite restaurant of Cheryl and Susie's. This waitress claimed to have seen the three missing women the night of their disappearance. And she states that she saw them between the hours of 1 and 3 a.m. The police start checking into this information and were able to find some of the other customers that would have been at the restaurant during these hours mm-hmm. uh, to try to, you know, either help this this story, this information, or to kind of dismiss it. And sadly, the waitress's statement could not be corroborated and was officially considered uncredible. Um, some of those other people didn't claim to have seen them at that time. And this really makes a lot of sense to me, right? Because we we have Susie and Stacy. They were said to have left Janelle's at 2 a.m. And they were spotted driving around 2.30 a.m. This is not leaving a lot of time for the three of them to have been at the restaurant between the hours of 1 and 3 a.m. And any time a person goes missing, and in this case, it seems like there's probably foul play, we have to take a look at the families. Yes, with with no answers to work on, the police started digging into the backgrounds of the three women. They were able to shake loose some interesting tidbits that could be beneficial to their case. Uh, one such possible lead was Bart Streeter, the son of Cheryl Levette and the older brother by nine years of Susie. Mm-hmm. Looking into his past, they were able to discover problems between Bart and his mother. At one point, several years before 1992, Bart, he was eventually kicked out of the house. Yeah, uh, he, seemed like he had a drinking problem. Yes, he, he had a frequent drinking problem. Bart would often drink to excess almost daily. Mm-hmm. Bart was out on his own, you know, living The rumor out, was he was going to start a true crime podcast. <laughs> in a garage where he drinks beer. Mm-hmm. Um, Bart was out living on his own for almost 10 years, um, and he he ended up back in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, this would be in the fall of 1991 because of a rough breakup and a falling out with his girlfriend. Once back in town, Bart tried to reconnect with his mother and his sister. At some point, his sister Susie moves in with him, mm-hmm. uh, but that didn't last too long. You know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to adjust to being single again. And apparently Bart had plenty of heartache and this kind of resurrected his alcohol issues. Well, also she's just a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. And so, and this was maybe a little more common early nineties, but, but not super common. Well, I wouldn't expect it to be super common. And I actually found it a little weird at first when I, when I found out that, oh, she lived with her brother. Mm-hmm. But, but then I got to thinking about the situation. She was 19 when she disappeared. So she could have potentially been living with Bart once she was already legally an adult. Right. So that and, she didn't really need her parents to make the decision for her. Yeah. And, and we, we, we know that Cheryl and her recently had moved into that home. And we know that Cheryl went through a divorce. So once I started thinking about all of that information, I started so strange. Yeah, not strange because we don't know what the living arrangements would have been beforehand. You know, if if Cheryl was living with a friend or living with her parents or or it was a, you know, a a crowded home that that Susie was living in, maybe she saw an opportunity like, you know, and, you know, at that age, too, if you're 18 and your brother's in his 
you know, he's nine years older, so mm-hmm. he's in his late twenties. You think, oh, not it'd be cool to live with my brother, you know? Mom, I, plus, he he knows where the booze is. I can be friends with the guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, and I can see a little bit what it's like to live as as an adult and feel like an adult. Plus, can you imagine being a senior in high school and you you don't live with your parents? You know, <laughs> like you'd be the cool kid, right? So I I don't know what the intentions were, but it once I started thinking about the the arrangements, it might not have been that strange. I was in jazz band. There's there's no help for me to be the cool kid. No chance. You couldn't go live with the older brother and throw parties at the place, huh? Right. And again, so they end up having a falling out, and she goes back to living with the mother. Yeah, it sounds like that. It almost got to a physical altercation between the brother and sister. Um, you know, and. Those those situations don't always work out, especially when you have a time gap of like nine years apart. Mm-hmm. And Bart's been away for almost 10 years at this point. Uh, he was Bart was considered a suspect early on in this investigation. Right. And it, but he was pretty quickly ruled out. Um, he claims that he was at his own home that night and that he had drank too much and passed out. And that was basically his his alibi. Doesn't sound like a solid, super solid alibi to me. Yeah, but I think it was uh, corroborated with um, neighbors. His neighbors, yeah, which, which makes a lot of sense because the police basically say, "Well, he was he was a suspect early on. Once we found out the you know what was going on in their relationship, but he was quickly you know taken off the list of of suspects." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're right. And, and you can actually, there are interviews with Bart to this day and you can, you can tell he's heartbroken by this whole situation. He's very willing to talk to any documentary. I think this was on disappeared, maybe, um, maybe a 48 hour special, but he's always involved and you can really tell like, you know, he, he has a a hatred to whoever he might think did this. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I think he was a guy that maybe had a little bit of a problem with the hooch early on, mm-hmm. but doesn't seem like he struggles with that now. Well, and a, and a guy in his 20s drinking too much is not too hard to believe. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the other thing that I saw, Captain, is you know not only a hatred for whoever destroyed his family, but the, I almost feel like he's got a little bit of guilt. Like, like he's got some guilt that he's been carrying around because his sister did live with him for mm-hmm. a while. And maybe he, he thinks that had I just not been, you know, had I been able to keep it together and keep her living with me, maybe this wouldn't have happened at all. Or at the very least, it wouldn't have happened to my sister. Well, and a lot of times when you're in your late teens or, or 20s, you, you do have little fallouts with your parents. And so he had, you know, kind of a tough relationship with his mom and his sister. And I think, you know, he probably thought, well, look, some of that stuff you're going to grow out of. You know, I, I couldn't tell you the last. I mean, it's not that my parents don't annoy the shit out of me. They do. But uh, I couldn't tell you the last time I've had a big argument with them. Mm-hmm. Well, things get a little more interesting here because, you know, the, the police are still investigating the backgrounds of the three women. And that's when they find another lead. And that lead is Susie's ex-boyfriend. This is Dustin Reckla. Now, he, mm-hmm. he and his friends, Michael Clay and Joseph Riedel, uh, they're all considered suspects. Because when Susie and Dustin were dating, Dustin and Michael got into some trouble. And they, they were charged with vandalizing a mausoleum. Uh, I, and I, I apologize. I misspoke. Joseph was with them as well. Mm-hmm. The the three were charged with felony into, in institutional vandalism. 
The three broke into a mausoleum at the Springfield's Maple Park Cemetery on February 21st, 1992. Mm -hmm. And they were accused of stealing a skull and some bones. Now, police said that Dustin sold 26 grams of gold teeth fillings that he had took from the skull that they they stole out of the the cemetery. Right. Uh, He sold this gold to a Springfield pawn shop for $30. Now, the, the pawn shop owner... Maybe there should be a rule with pawn shops. Like, if somebody comes in with gold teeth... You just, uh, you're not allowed to buy those. Right. right. You know, like, uh, I don't know where you got those. Or at least ask them to smile so you can verify that they have all of their teeth. And yeah. now you need to be concerned that. Uh, like, but the, op- open up your mouth, cupcake. I want to see. But we got to give credit where credit is due, my friend, because the, the pawn shop owner, he purchased these teeth mm-hmm. for $30. And then he called the police and said, guess right, what? Right, 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 this right. guy, Dustin, showed up with some gold teeth. You might want right, to check him out. out only out 30 bucks if it doesn't turn into something exactly well what ended up happening was uh suzanne streeter ended up giving a statement to the officers investigating the vandalism she gave the statement on march 5th 1992 and in the statement uh she really basically just pointed to the three boys being guilty and of course this ended their relationship right later there were multiple Later, there were multiple reports about Michael Clay. Remember, he's one of the friends of Dustin saying that this was after the women had disappeared. He's saying, I wish all three of the women were dead. Um, And, you know, so this immediately throws them under the bus. They're already under suspicion. Uh, And the other thing, too, here is they do have an alibi for the night that Cheryl, Susie and Stacy disappeared. It has never been confirmed, however. Right. Uh, Dustin and Michael and Joseph said that that evening they claimed to have been at a rock concert that night. But other than the word of the three boys, the police are unsure. Right. You're creating your own alibi by saying, well, I was with him and he was with me and we're at this rock concert where there's potentially thousands of people. So who, you know, yeah, yes, th- potentially could have been seen by thousands of people, but who recognizes anybody that's a stranger to them at a concert? Right. And if they were at a concert, it was probably like a new kids on the block concert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. So, so basically the police, they have no evidence pointing toward the boys being guilty of the disappearance. Well, wasn't there some other stuff though, too, with the skulls up in the, in the trees? Well, see, I didn't give a lot of weight to that, and I'll tell you why. Um, you, you, you're, well, let's explain what it you're is. You're exactly first. right. There was there was rumors that the boys were into uh, some kind of Satanism, mm-hmm. and um, and mind you, this is ninety two, so this is around the whole uh, Satanic panic time. Oh, it's it's in the height of the Satanic panic, in right. my opinion. And um, this so, is one year before West Memphis. Yeah, and the thing here is, you know, they claim to have been at a rock concert. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, when we look at somebody like Jason Baldwin, okay, he's walking around, you know, from West Memphis 3. He's walking Mm -hmm. around daily with Metallica shirts on. And we all know what those old Metallica shirts look like. They're skulls and bones and... I had a picture of Bobby Brown right on it. And snakes and things like that. And, And maybe older people or people that just don't know better... Would would point at the kid and go, oh, look at the look at the kid in the black shirt with the skulls all the time. He's he's a Satanist, mm-hmm. and I think that that's maybe what we see here with these three boys. Now, I would I would 
worry a little more because of the break into the cemetery. That's a, that's a very strange thing. Um, and I know boys will be boys and they, and they do some dumb things along the way, especially in the teenage years. But I don't, I don't, well, I shouldn't say I don't think I should say, I know I would not be comfortable breaking into a cemetery and then handling the remains of, of somebody. Right. Cause let's just be clear about this for a second, right? They're not digging up bodies. They're not digging up a casket, which, you know, would be a little more effort. What they're, they're kind of lazy grave robbers, but they're breaking into a place that holds a bunch of caskets and a bunch of bodies. And then they can get into these uh, compartments that hold the bodies. They pull it out. Mm -hmm. You got to pull it out. Then you got to open up the casket. So now you're dealing with the, the, the odor of the dead body. Yeah. Right. You got to deal with the, these human remains. Mm -hmm. And then you have to put your, you got to put your hand and the mouth of a dead body and you have to pull that tooth out. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, which skull has gold teeth. So how many, you, you might at, after, after holding it and viewing it and deciding, okay, I'm taking this one. Um, but no, what I'm saying is you're saying when you're reaching in to, to pull out the, no, what I'm saying. Yeah. When you're pulling that body out with that casket, you don't know, you you don't have x-ray vision. So you actually have to, open the casket, open up the dead person's mouth mm-hmm. and see, okay, I look in, okay, there's a gold tooth. Now I got to pull that out. But if there's no gold teeth, then we got to shut that casket, mm-hmm. maybe still jewelry while you're there, but you got to shut that casket. And then when you come back, then you got to do the whole process again. Well, And what if you get somebody that only has one gold tooth? So then you got to do that, shut the casket, start the process again. It's one thing, it's one thing to... If you had to do it, right? Right. You don't have to do this. So I think, look, to me, I'm not saying satanic panic. I'm not saying that at all because, you know, you can listen to Metallica all day long okay. and be and be a great person. I listen. I still listen to Metallica. Um, not saying I'm a great person, though. Um, but what I'm saying is for somebody to have the capability of doing that, to me, that puts them in the possibility or the realm of possibly being able to be malicious towards somebody because it's a disrespectful thing to the dead person. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying that I think that that this is something that should not be overlooked. You're exactly you're you're exactly right. It does go beyond the point of satanic panic, and it does it does point toward somebody being comfortable handling remains um it it, it well, sounds somebody to me, that's comfortable of committing a crime yeah and it sounds to me like the intention might not so much have been for the gold teeth that maybe they were going there to take a skull or bones or for whatever reason well um, they ended up hanging like some of the skulls like in a tree or something and and i think you're exactly right though it, it it's either it either takes a person capable of things that others wouldn't be capable of, or mm-hmm. it takes a certain kind of stupid to go out and commit this, this vandalism. Well, most criminals are stupid, stupid. Well, and the alibi itself is not that great, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're vouching for each other. They're at a rock concert. And they, the thing is here, you know, I'd like a little more information on this because if that rock concerts in Springfield, Missouri, well, these girls disappeared between two thirty a.m. and eight a.m. You could mm-hmm. have 
conceivably went to the rock concert and still carried out this crime or abducted these these women. Well, you probably could have went to a rock concert within a two, three mile radius because, you know, well, let's just assume that some of these concerts would be over by 11, 12 mm-hmm. o'clock at night. A lot of things shut down a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like we didn't have all night Taco Bell. People it was rough. There was no fourth meal back then. You were <laughs> you had third meal and then you went to bed. Right. <laughs> You skip, you skip fourth meal and, and you I, go and right I to jail. I often laid in my bed in the middle of the night dreaming of fourth, fourth meal. meal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, anyways, um, it's Taco Tuesday in the garage. It's Taco Tuesday. Um, so, regardless of the of the alibi being weak, it doesn't even matter if they were at a rock concert, and and it, it could have been one that was the next town over. Mm-hmm. You you could have been at the rock concert and still conceivably pulled out this crime you know abducted these three women you there was time to do so so not only is their alibi really weak but their motive is strong i mean all three individuals are going to be charged with this this felony with the felony yes right and then we have three people that went missing what's easy you know it's a lot easier to control three people if there's three people and one thing that the streeter family still has a question about today is, you know, there, there are people that have wondered, well, was, was Susie supposed to, you know, testify against these guys in court? Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, we got the one guy that says, I, oh, I wish they were all dead. Um, so they, they look very guilty. They have a motive. Uh, the thing here is, you know, as far as these guys are concerned, um, it doesn't really go anywhere because they have no evidence. We're talking about right. a, a crime scene where there's no evidence mm-hmm. on top of that police willingly admit that probably up to 10 people trampled through that crime scene before they got there. Right. Uh, and unless you have an eyewitness seeing these boys with, with these victims or pulling them from the house, there's really nothing to go on here. Now I will say one thing in the, in the defense of, of these three guys, they did seem to work and cooperate with the police quite a bit. They, they willingly sat down for interviews, told them what they may or may not know. Um, and those interviews didn't really go anywhere. Now, again, though, there, there are people that still consider them suspects. And some of those people are the Springfield, Missouri police. Yeah. I kind of wonder what these three individuals were, are up to today. And, and I wondered the same thing, especially after finding out that they're still considered suspects in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far there, I ran into some issues because I did try to, I went down that rabbit hole and Joseph Riedel, first of all, his last name is the same as a glass manufacturer. So mm-hmm. good luck. I, right, I found right, nothing right. but uh, people trying to sell me wine glasses. Um, Michael, Did he buy any? I fully stocked up. <laughs> uh, Michael Clay has an extremely common name. Uh, I, right. I, I came up with like a hundred Michael Clays in living in the Missouri area. And the other problem with all this too is that we don't have pictures of these suspects. So even if you found uh, a person to compare the the names, you wouldn't know if it was or, the same, right? To compare the pictures, you don't have a picture to compare it to. Now, Dustin Reckla, he has a, an interesting last name. It's not a mm-hmm. common last name, and I did find somebody that's still living in the Springfield, Missouri area, still living in the same town, uh, and he matches up as far as as uh, age goes. Right. So it's in my opinion, it's the same guy. It's prob- um, yeah, most likely. I have not, and I don't feel bad saying that or or, or any question about saying that because it doesn't appear that he's done anything questionable since then. Mm-hmm. You know, he made this, this error or mistake as a, as a kid 
and he's paid his debt to the society. Apparently he's still living there and he's a family man. Now he's, if, if that carries any weight, I don't know, but he's not moved or fled the area. I wonder if he's sitting in his garage right now. Listen, Hey, give us a call. Give us a call. Uh, no, but we'll yeah. let you tell your side of the story. But again, some of that too is like, yeah, you, you, maybe you're creating an alibi. Maybe there is a motive, but also at the end of the day, it's it's like, well, it could be boys being boys, right? Know? As and far I, as and the I know that's, yeah. I know that's a cop out, but it it should just be teenagers, early twenty some year old, just being young and and dumb. Yes, and the, and the thing that makes them interesting, though, is that it's it's got to be fairly difficult to abduct three people, especially if you're by yourself. It, I mean, it would certainly, we can agree that it would certainly help if the numbers were even, three versus three. Right, but it's a lot, you know, but three versus three, no gun, one guy with a gun, I'd say that's pretty even. Even Steven, he says. Um, another tip comes in. This one didn't come in until about nine or ten days after the disappearance of the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this report is about a situation that took place around 6.30 a.m. June 7th, uh, 1992. So this is just hours after the last time the three women were last seen. A woman was sitting on her front porch, and she says that she saw a greenish Dodge van uh, she, she believed the van to have been from the mid sixties to the early 1970s. Mm. Those are also known as shagging wagons. <laughs> she, she also said that the van seemed extremely out of place to her. It was, you know, this is an old woman that sat on her front porch often, and it was a vehicle that she did not recognize. She didn't identify this as a vehicle owned by any of the neighbors or any of the other people that lived on her block. Uh, furthermore, the thing here is to where Cheryl Levette lived, you could get to the freeway very quickly from where she lived. And this person that lived on, on a block, you know, a couple, she lived in, a, in an area that if you were leaving Levette's home and trying to make your way to the freeway, if you were, if, if a victim was driving and tried to pull in and try to delay something, this might be an obvious spot to kind of turn into, if, the, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. This van also was reported multiple different colors. You know, some people said, because you know, there was other reports of people seeing a van. Yeah. And it came out like, well, maybe it wasn't green. Maybe it was brown. Maybe. Well, and, we, and, and, and we'll get to that, you know, but, but the, kind, the, kind of reminds me of uh, uh, this shaggy you know was the scooby mobile or yeah and it kind of looks like a volkswagen van in, in, a, in a way as well mm-hmm. kind of uh, like they're kind of copying that style but that, the, that'll be on the website so you can check that out the reason why this stood out to her was it was not just a van that she didn't recognize but she furthermore she noticed a young woman in the driver's seat that appeared mm. to be you know freaking out a bit and blonde hair, right? Yes. And the witness claimed hearing an unidentified male voice speaking to the driver, saying something to the effect of back out slowly. You know, he must have realized that they're, they're not going toward the freeway mm-hmm. and don't do anything stupid. So she claims to have heard this. Now, the delay for her reporting this was just simply that she was unaware that there was anything going on. Uh, it was when she finally heard about the missing women, that's when this witness made the call and told the authorities, the the woman driver, you know, and about the van. Now, when she was shown pictures of the three women, she says that the driver, in her opinion, was definitely Suzanne Streeter. 
Right. So this is the blonde kind of crimped hair. I think it's what it's called. It's kind of bleach blonde crimped hair. Now this would be the girlfriend of one of the three boys. You're exactly the ex- right. And yeah. so Dustin's ex-girlfriend. Just throwing this out there, just thinking out loud. Well, that would make more sense because you'd put her up front mm-hmm. if if they were if they were the suspects. Yeah, and the thing here is too. You know what the police probably start looking at at this point is because they believed this tip to be very credible. Mm-hmm. The thing here is then you have to start wondering, well, do either any of these three boys have access to a vehicle that matches that description? Right. And if you can prove that they don't, then, you know, like I said, they're still suspects, mm-hmm. but, but maybe they come off the radar a little bit. And now rather than looking at these three boys, you've got a vehicle to go look for because the woman states, she gives a great description of the vehicle. However, no description of the man who she heard talking to this driver. Right, because like, there, but there's no windows on the side of this van. No, so it's like you know, it's it's very. I mean, I wouldn't even call it a creeper van, because I mean, it's kind of stylish. It's I a agree. little more too stylish. It's more stylish than the creeper vans. It's like a, a half creeper van. But what I'm saying is, the the driver's seat was probably one of those bucket seats. It wasn't a bench seat mm-hmm. where if if you were my victim, right, and you're sitting in the in the front in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. I could be crouched down behind you with a with a gun or some kind of weapon to you without being seen at all by, you know, by anybody looking on. Well, my ears are your victim every week. The thing here is the the police did think this was a credible eyewitness. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they purchased a van that would be similar year, similar model to what they were looking for. Right. They get the witness, the eyewitness to sign off on the color that the van was supposed to be. And they painted it that color. They parked this thing out in front of the police department mm-hmm. with a sign on it that says, you know, if you've seen any van that looks like this one, you need to give us a call and tell us who owns it or where you've seen it. Or, you know, have you seen women in the van? Right. Or maybe have you seen this van? Just go with me on this weird thought, right? Okay. Maybe you've seen this van at a new kids on the block concert. Oh, okay. Right. No, no, I'm not trying to make a joke, but seriously. Okay. What concert would, were these guys at? That's a good question. So if you say they're at this concert over here at this venue, did anybody at that concert report a stolen van? Right. See what I'm saying? A stolen van. Or did you see a van there that looked like this? Because just because these three guys committed this vandalism, this act of vandalism, doesn't mean that the, the they're the only three suspects. They could have had a friend or someone that they knew that went along with them on, on this, you know, to, to go break into this house or, or abduct well, these I'm women. Well, I'm just going off on the fact that if these guys are still suspects. Right. You know I mean, like, you know, may, maybe somebody had a van stolen from the concert that they claimed that they're at or that they were at. And then mm-hmm. afterwards, they're like, you know, maybe a little high, maybe a little drunk. And they're like, let's, let's teach that girl a lesson. Well, this move by the police to get the van, paint it the color, post the number, uh, this, this ends up being a good thing for the police. It, it creates a bit of traction in the case and they, it starts picking back up. Now a paper boy comes forward and he states that he was doing his deliveries. And during that time he described seeing a similar type van. Uh, but he says that the van he saw was brown in color. Now he also states that he saw the van when it was dark outside and could not be 100% certain of the actual color of the van that he had seen. 
as the captain had said over time, a lot more tips come in regarding this van uh, and, and the color of the van changes several times uh, from these different tipsters or eyewitnesses. Yeah, a police, one of the police officers said, at some point, the van was every color. Yeah, it was, it was a you know? rainbow of colors. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, you, you and I talked about this one time. Uh, when when you have these when you have these kind of tip lines that come out and say you know we're looking for a green van of mm-hmm. this year to this year, it, you know keep your eyes out open and if you see anything let us know. And it's amazing how people come out of the woodwork and they start noticing those vans all of a sudden where those vans have always been there they've always been in your neighborhood you know somebody that drives that van now all of a sudden you're driving on the freeway and you see a thousand of them on your way home one evening. Well, and when I was a banker, I mean, one of the things that we had to constantly do training on was we'd watch videos of, you know, burglaries, not burglaries, you know, bank robberies. Okay. And uh, and then they'd just ask you, you know, they'd turn off the tape and go write down everything you know. And oh, you that's just, all neat. That's and you, neat. And you'd practice that, you know, but it was surprising how bad some people were at first. So, so you, you know, a guy comes in, he's got a mask on or doesn't it, or he has a hat on or whatever. And you have to write down what, what color jeans he's wearing, what mm-hmm. shirt, uh, how many guys there are, you know, anything you can observe, you write that down. And then what do they do? They take your answers and show you the, the footage again. And then you're like, Oh, got that wrong. Got right, that right. wrong. Got that wrong. And what a lot of people do. And just because it's because of the type of test it is, a lot of people start trying to you know, scan the whole room for everything where, where here's what happens. If somebody robs your bank, you've been at your bank for, for a long time. So, you know, your surroundings. Okay. It's really about focusing on that individual, Mm -hmm. but still it was amazing to me. I mean, I was actually surprisingly pretty good at it. It was amazing to me how many people that I worked with where it's like, they kept on saying he's wearing a red hat and he's not even wearing a hat. There's no hat at all. So, and then I also think some of this stuff too, it's like with that lady saying that she saw a girl in a van, the green van, maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. Some people hear about something going on in their city and they just want so badly to be involved. Right. Right. And, and sometimes the mind creates images that we think that we saw, but we never saw. You know, maybe she saw a van and then after she saw pictures of the women, what she a, goes, was she taking like a bunch of mushrooms? I don't know. I'm just saying it was nine or 10 days after the fact. Some day, sometimes nine or 10 days after a crime, you go into the field and you eat a bunch of mushrooms and you start seeing green vans. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what normally happens. So we have some persons of interest to discuss here. And I say that because they're not necessarily suspects, Mm -hmm. uh, but some persons of interest. We mentioned the three young men, Dustin, Michael, and Joseph. These are suspects in my mind and in the eyes of the police. But we have some interesting monsters here to talk about. Uh, First, let's start with Stephen Eugene Garrison. Now, Mm -hmm. Garrison had told police, he works his way into this case because he told police a friend of his had confessed to killing the three women and confessed this to him during a drunken party. Uh, He told police information unknown to the public that led investigators to serve three search warrants at two sites in Western Webster County. He said that they would find the three women's bodies and clues about their abduction and their deaths. Mm. He also said that a Moss Green van believed used to take 
the women would be found about 12 miles away from where they would find the bodies of the, Mm -hmm. of the young women. Yeah. I mean, this, this seems like something they have to kind of jump on right away. Yeah. So, so the property that was searched, this is where it gets even a little more weird. Um, the property that was searched was the same site where in 1990 law enforcement searched for two missing people. These are not related to this case. Right. Uh, the property owner was Francis Rob senior, and he ended up pleading guilty to two counts of second degree murder and a case that authorities say at the time was believed to have been a drug deal gone very badly. Now, Stephen Garrison was believed enough that a gag order concerning the search was issued by a judge. Law enforcement said certain aspects of the information we received fit with other private aspects of this Springfield three case. Right, right. This was a statement given by the Springfield police captain. And you see this type of move here is, is pretty rare to have a gag order on a search like this. Uh, law enforcement acknowledged that the gag order existed, but, but simply said, you know, we can't tell you anything about it until the order is lifted. So we, we basically what that's saying is they issued this gag order because they don't want to talk about items that were found at that site. Right. Now, do, does that mean that it, 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 it is leads to the Springfield three or to this case specifically, or did they happen to be or searching? Case. Yeah. yeah. They were searching a site where you got a bad dude that, that was known to have possibly put people there before. Yeah. A monster. So the thing here is, you know, why, why does this seem so important to the police? This was important enough for them to go out there and search the property, right? Well, so who is Steven Garrison that gave them this information? Garrison is a terrible guy. You know, th- this is in part why the authorities take his statements so seriously. They know what he is capable of because Steven Garrison was serving 40 years in prison for kidnapping, raping, and terrorizing a female Springfield college student, uh, which he abducted in the summer of 1993. Which would be roughly the same age and roughly around the same time time frame as far as like same age and also around the start of summer. Yeah. Yeah. It, same age, same time frame, mm-hmm. uh, same victimology. Um, you know, police spent a good amount of time tracking Garrison's movements. Um, and at, at one time, and I don't know if this was through a person or persons that knew Garrison, but authorities were looking as far as Colorado for information regarding Stephen Garrison. I mean, the two girls were walking around town and they're, and they're both very, they're, they're, they're both attractive, uh, females. And I think, you know, why, why they're walking around that they could have caught somebody's eye. And they followed them the the ladies home. Mm-hmm. It's very possible. Could be could be just as simple as that. Now Garrison Stephen Garrison is quoted as saying, uh, "They've never let up on me." You know, when referring to the police's investigation into connecting him to the disappearance of the Springfield Three. Mm-hmm. So you have this you have this terrible guy that's very capable of having a victim that fits any of these this victimology here. And he was known to be in the area. Yeah. And he comes out with this weird statement of a friend told me when he was drunk that he did this, you right. know, that's just a, a strange statement. Well, and it might not be so much of a friend, but maybe somebody that, you know, I'll, you know, as far as like sex trafficking and stuff like that, they, they normally will work with each other. So we have this very odd case, three missing women. We have Susie age 19, Stacy age 18 
They're staying at Susie's mother's house, Cheryl, age 47 at the time. Mm -hmm. Between the hours of 2.30 a.m. and 8 a.m., they disappear June 7th, 1992. And it's really, the, the crime scene is the strange thing here. All their belongings left behind. It almost looks like either they left the front door unlocked or they willingly let the abductor or abductors into the house in the middle of the night. Right, no sign of struggle. And then when people come to find them, they're getting some weird calls, sexual mm-hmm. calls. And we have a couple eyewitnesses come forward. We have a couple suspects early on. Early on. Mm-hmm. We have the brother. He's kind of out of the picture now. Yep. We got the three boys, the ex-boyfriend. They're still kind of in the picture. And then we got some bad hombres in this area. Yeah, and it turns out as the further this investigation goes and the longer it goes on, the more that they're realizing that a lot of really bad men are living in Springfield, Missouri in 1992. Yeah, and we're going to have to get to these monsters in tomorrow's episode. Thank you, Captain. We got so much more to dive into in this very highly requested case of the Springfield 3, and we will do that tomorrow. We will see you all back here in the garage tomorrow. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.